Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Sean Donovan, who is the founder of Antidote, which is an email and SMS marketing agency made by people who hate boring email. Hi, Sean. Hi, Nikki. Thanks (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So um, we've been friends for like a few years now, which has been really fun to you know, have another founder friend to chat with about so many things. And also we use Antidote at the fullest and you guys have been so wonderful and helped us like up level our whole email game, which has been really amazing. And I am just excited to have you on because watching you start Antidote has been so inspiring and you've gone through so much. And I think this like story is kind of twofold because I think it's inspiring to see someone leave something that they were comfortable in and had a lot of potential, but start their own thing. And then, um, and then also I think it's really important for people. And I think a lot of our audience would be interested in learning more from you about email in general and email marketing. Cause I think so many people, have such good information, but it just doesn't get across because it just looks like shit and it just like, it doesn't convert and that's really important. And then businesses go out and there's just so much to it. And, um, it's funny because I think I haven't even like, we haven't even explored like the world of SMS marketing all I get it all the time, but straight to my phone, which is now an iPhone. So I can actually click on them, but I, I still, it's still so new for people. And I'm curious, like, I think you obviously have, you know, a lot of experience in that too. So I just want to kind of talk about all of it. But first, I want to definitely get into your history a little bit and how you found yourself. I think you've always just been like such an alternative type of person, or that's what I'm assuming from what I know about you. You don't necessarily take like the route that most people do in life, like to just, even though now you're married with a kid and it seems pretty (laughs) traditional, um, you know, like you didn't go to college, you didn't do things that you people think that you need to do if you're privileged enough to do them. So yeah, I'm curious if why, or if you thought about that or if that just happened. And, and so, yeah, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. I think, I don't know if I thought about it or if I was just really naive. I, uh, yeah, I don't think I did well in school. I was like probably bored in school for the most part. I just like, I didn't appreciate learning in that way. I think I learned way better from pain, like the pain of trying something and not doing that well at it. And then I'm, I just get addicted to, uh, trying new things and then the torment of like learning while doing it. I'm obsessed with that. And so when I was young, I just, I knew I like, didn't want to go to school because I was just working on so many other projects outside of school. But I, I don't think I ever thought like... Wait, hold on. I have to interrupt you. What kinds of projects were you doing outside of school? Because are you talking about, you know, sports? Or are you talking about like creating things? Like what what does that mean? I mean, when I was, <laughs> when I was way younger, I was always building stuff. I was... Uh, in high school, I started a couple like t-shirt clothing businesses. I um, 
Yeah, I would do anything. Like I was just starting projects all the time outside of school for entertainment. And also, like, I think my dad was always an entrepreneur. So I was trying to start businesses, probably just like modeling what I saw in my family also. So I, yeah, I never like, I never spent that much time on actual schoolwork because I was always obsessed trying to figure out other things. So it wasn't that I like thought about not going to school. I just didn't think about school. And your parents, I mean, your sisters both have gone. So like, do you think it's because your parents encouraged them to go and talk to you guys about it? Or do you think they just wanted to go basically? Cause that was what you did. I think they, I think they felt more pressure to go. Like I, I think my, I was like, I hope this doesn't sound bad for my parents, but I think I was lucky because my, I had two older sisters and my mom, my dad was busy working. And then my mom, uh, because I went to a different high school than them and middle school, I just went to different schools, like all growing up, they went to private school. I went to public school because I didn't like do that well in private school. I got in trouble for like not wearing a belt or like I was constantly in trouble for things that didn't really matter. So my mom took me out and put me in public school. And then because of that, I just, I always had separate friend groups from them and their schools were further away from where we lived. So my mom was constantly like driving them to different activities. And then I was kind of like on my own schedule. Like after school, I would ride my bike home from school, even in elementary school. Wow. And so I would like, I thought it was amazing. I like, I would have a tutor sometimes and like after elementary school, but then like after middle school and high school, I was like free to do my homework, which I never worked on. And then I would like do other things with friends, but we were always just like building. We would build like little, uh, motorcycles and like anything we could figure out. And I, yeah, I think that just like continued into high school, but transitioned into more like business, not really business, but I was like trying to start businesses. Yeah. 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 And then at that age is a business for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then I also just got really fortunate when I was like seven, 16, probably I walked into like a clothing retail store in Newport beach and, uh, I didn't know what it was or who owned it, but I asked uh, the guy that was working there if they, designed the clothes at the retail store. It was like this really uh, interesting concept where they had like manufacturing in the back and they were constantly just making things on like on the premise. And so I asked him if he, if they designed the clothes there. And then he, he asked me like why I was asking him. It ended up that he had started a couple big clothing lines like Maui and Sons and, uh, another one called modern amusement. So, um, and he also was just like, so into finding like young people that were interested in what he was doing. So I ended up going there literally every day after school and like working with him. Yeah. So like in in high school, I was there all the time. Wow. Yeah. You like found a mentor in this person who, because he like made it on premise, then you were really inspired because you thought, because you knew 
right? That like yeah. the fashion world is, you know, not that way. That's yeah. really cool. I know amusement. Like I completely forgot about them. Yeah. His his name's Jeff Yokoyama. He's like probably one of the most creative, inspiring person that I've ever met in life. And I had like I had an amazing time working with him and just being around somebody that was like so vibrant with creativity. And uh, I didn't know that he actually knew my parents. My sister played volleyball with his daughter and my mom uh, like randomly when I was in probably middle school had had like three minor heart attacks or four minor heart attacks. And she was at... Yeah, yeah, my mom had, yeah, like totally out of the blue. She's super uh, in shape. She worked out all the time at that point, like ate pretty healthy. And she was at a volleyball tournament with my sister, had I think three or four minor heart attacks. And uh, Jeff, like my mentor, she had them like over the course of a day or like a day and a half maybe. And she was at the volleyball tournament and Jeff, the guy that was like my mentor, uh, was there also and ended up driving her to the hospital. So like after we started working together, he realized who I was and then was like, oh, my God, I uh, like Same I love concept. your family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. That's really cool. And I had no idea about your mom. That's crazy. Yeah. And I think he just instilled in me like he... Uh, yeah, he loves doing things differently than anybody else. Like his whole idea with the retail store that I was working, uh, I wasn't even really working at the retail store, but I was like working on projects with him for his whole concept for it was like make different, design different, make different, sell different. And he thought like, why is the fashion industry just like throwing away all these clothes? I can like design new things out of all this like leftover stuff and then sell it in the same retail store where we design and make it and uh and he just has like a very alternative thought process to what most people do in business and i always thought that was like so fascinating so he really influenced you in that way obviously that yeah trajectory of like going into because then you went into like you started a shoe line, right? Did no, you- no. I, so I worked with him and then he like, he ended up starting a school. He, wow. Yeah. It, I mean, he, his idea was like, why do kids like go to pay all this money to go to art and fashion school? Like more than likely they shouldn't be going to school. They don't fit into like the traditional education system. And, I totally agree. And these, <laughs> Uh, colleges have just created these like systems that look really similar to that. So it feels good to be able to say that you're going there, but the outcome like might not actually be that valuable to the people. And so he was like, I want to start a school that does things totally different that literally teaches you how to make things physically and uh, bring ideas to life and like start brands essentially. And it was just, it was like five to 10 people that went to it, but he had so many industry connections and he just brought in all these people to talk to us. Like, uh, and then he gave us access to like 
it was mainly for people that were interested in apparel. So it was like he had a, a sample maker, a pattern maker, a sewer that he opened up his connections to us to try and like develop our own ideas through them. Wait, okay, hold on. So this is for adults, <laughs> your age group. I'm thinking for like young kids. Well, and- I think at that point I was like 18. So it was probably yeah. for kids that were like just graduating high school that maybe like didn't want, uh, yeah, didn't want to go to college or like just found themselves not going to college or even kids in high school that were just interested in doing things outside of like normal school. So you took basically this program from him. Did you pay for it? Like, was it like, I think my parents might've paid like, I don't even know like yeah. $1,500 or something, but it was like, I, I, I forget the details of it. It was maybe like 10 weeks of time. And it was like going into it. Most of the people had an idea of what they wanted to start. And then he just like helped ask questions, push you maybe further than you were like comfortable going on your own. And then he had the people in his Rolodex that could actually help you make things. And awesome. the interesting part was like at the end of it, I was working on a clothing line at the end of it, the connections that he had introduced us to just said, like, do you actually want to do this? Like I can make intros for you. But at the end of the day, like you're 18 years old, you have to decide if you want to start a business and actually sell product because you can't go into it just as like a fun project and then have people that were introducing you to get left with like you not delivering. Yeah. 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 No, that's important to ask. Yeah. And most of the people at the end, I I think we're still just like trying to figure out what they wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you though? So let's like kind of go up to a little more recent. So you started, I mean, from there you, it sounds like you wanted to start a clothing clothing line. Yeah. So at the end of that, I did start a clothing line and I, through their help, they introduced me to some buyers. I probably got it into like, like 30 or 50 retail stores throughout the U S over like the next year or two. And then, uh, by that point, I was like 20 years old and I got contacted by a guy that was working for Reef, uh, the mm-hmm. sandal and footwear brand. And they were owned at the time by a company called VF who owns Vans, Timberland, a bunch of other big brands. And they offered me a job to like design shoes and work in the footwear space. How random to go so random. From- you were doing and then be offered that job like it was so random it made no sense and i said no like the first two times that uh he reached out to me ultimately my boss at reef he reached out to me twice i just i had no clue what they were asking me i was like i'm not really interested in reef i don't wear sandals i have a clothing line it's like doing okay I'm not that interested in doing this. And I also have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how to design shoes. And he, 
I mean, insane that they like did this. The the no sense. <laughs> he like knew what he was doing. He though. just he told me I'm looking for a young person that has good taste that is not from a traditional like background so that you might have interesting ideas of how to do things that are outside of what we usually do and he took a massive gamble hiring me and he he also just said like we can teach you how to design shoes but i can't teach people how to have good taste taste or interesting ideas um and so i took i ended up taking the job more because i thought like i didn't go to school i'm gonna get paid i can travel with them and see how business like bigger businesses operate because i had no clue like i had no idea that's crazy so then from there you were working in that industry for a while you then worked for vans right yeah i worked i ended up working at reef for like four or five years and then i moved to vans uh i moved to vans for like a year before i ended up leaving Vans to launch a natural personal care brand uh, called Journeymen. Yeah. And, yeah. Which um, I still actually have some uh, <laughs> use. So, but that kind of takes us to like now, which I think is just really interesting because Journeymen has such great branding and so much potential and obviously you raised money for it and you had a partner and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that you put into journeyman and it did well. And it was like in birch box, which people, you know, it's hard to get into. You can't just cold call birch box. I mean, you do a lot of, there are a lot of like great partnerships and great stores that you were into like Mohawk general store. Um, so I think that's like really important because, you were like building journeyman and then also were, when did you start the marketing? Cause you also had a marketing company on the side. Did you leave and just start both at the same time or, Oh no. Okay. Oh, no, I got, I, yeah. So after launching journeyman, like four months into it, probably we got into a trademark opposition lawsuit with Mary Kay and they, uh, yeah, they just wanted to own the trademark and put together like some bad case to argue that they had a brand that it would be confused with, which was like nothing. And um, but because of how much money and time they had to fight it, we couldn't take money out of the business. I was like 26 by this time. I just needed to find a way to make income while not really having like a full-time job. So I started doing like creative consulting. I met like a billionaire businessman who owned like 120 businesses. I just ended up getting flowed more and more work from the group that he owned. And then I met I met a few people through working with him and I kind of like accidentally started a marketing agency just out of like doing the consulting work. I didn't really expect it to become like a business. I just, I was working on projects and then it snowballed into more projects and it ended up becoming more of like an agency type business over yeah. a couple of years. Um, but you obviously like learned so much from that. And we're, I mean, I like segueing somewhat into antidote, like the difference. And I think you've mentioned this quite a bit is like, 
you did so many things, right? Yeah. And so I'm yeah, sure anything. Also helped with journeymen too, with like learning um, in terms yeah. of marketing. But then um, I think I but, learned more like what not, uh, what I didn't want to do. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I didn't believe in the businesses that they were purchasing. I didn't, yeah, I wasn't like a fan of the products. Like I would never have told people what I was working on. Yeah. Yeah. It was more like yeah. me sprinting to like start another business to like survive. And then the momentum of it was like what almost was like kind of scary because I was like going into a network of businesses that I just like, I didn't really appreciate. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't love working on them at all. Which for most people in business, I mean, most people in this world, I would say like, they're okay with that. You know, that's where they're at. It's yeah. Most agencies, they take it on, they take on the lame hospital so that they can have the cool um, marketing for the lame hospital down the street so they can have the cool brand that they want to work on. You know, like that's how I've always known like a lot of marketing agencies to be. So it wasn't like weird, but I think it's really interesting because you knew within yourself that this like accidentally kind of happened to you. It wasn't intentional. It was just like making it work so that you could build another brand. And then you wanted, like you accidentally started it with a partner, but then you also wanted um, to be in a place where it sounds to me like you wanted to like the brands that you work with. Yeah, I don't even think I care about the like, it's not really that I wanted to like love the brands that I was working on. I just wanted to be involved with people that I could like learn from and I respected their thinking and their decision making and that I like generally agreed with it or even if I disagreed that they like that their logic made sense to me yeah. and the businesses that we were working on like they weren't really doing that well financially yet they didn't want to do anything differently yeah and I think like for me too I just I don't know I feel like life happens quickly so if you feel like that you like have to yeah you like have to uproot your life to make sure that you don't go too far down a road that you like have no intention of even being on some of you may know that i'm a mom and i'm always on the lookout for sustainable baby products which to be honest can be really hard to find especially for more functional items that's why discovering Wavy was a blessing. Their mission is to reinvent on-the-go gear for family adventures so that you can still get out and explore nature or your neighborhood as a new parent. Founded by the makers of the world's best outdoor gear and the former CEO of Patagonia, their goal is to raise the bar on products that are better for parents, kids, and the planet. In particular, I'm a huge fan of the Pico car seat, which my husband had found out about and is really obsessed with. It's portable, it only weighs eight pounds, and it's a forward-facing car seat that meets all federal motor vehicle safety and federal aviation administration standards for cars and planes. Basically, the Pico is perfect for travel and everyday use, is safe for your little ones, and doesn't cost the earth. 
You can find more about Wayby and its accessories at wayby.com. And for 20% off your order, use code THEFULLEST at checkout. And I think it's almost like I was just explaining to someone about, I posted something the other day about like building or creating a family with someone that you love and how like amazing of a feeling it is because most people let life happen at them, whether it's through work or family. And so all of a sudden you wake up one day and you have, you're married and you have kids, but you need a vacation from your family. And like, not saying that, you know, no one should do that, but I just feel like it's really cool to be so conscious in what you're creating that you want to be with your family or you want to work on your work. And it, it's, so amazing. And I think our generation is kind of the first generation to really, you know, make sure that that's part of what we're doing. I I know so many people that that's important to them. And sometimes it holds you back because like, I think almost like a perfectionist would like want everything to be perfect before they start, then they don't get there. But if you don't, you know, let it get to you, but you have that intention, it's so incredible. And it just, you have, how old is Lucky? A year old. You have a one-year-old baby and you started Antidote a year ago and you had to uproot, like you didn't know obviously that you were going to also leave your other um, business. Yeah. But I think this story is really important because it's like you had to leave something that you you knew wasn't right, but was working and to create what I think is such an incredible brand and also just helping so many other cool brands. And I I'm just so inspired by Antidote and I love it so much. And I, I think everyone should be using Antidote as their email marketing agency, but that's a separate thing. But like, I remember you like brainstorming on it and my friend and your wife, Jess, I think is like such an amazing creative force behind like helping people bring things to fruition. So I totally agree. I love her. And I think she um, definitely like played a role in helping facilitate, which like I know that. Yeah. I mean, she's been like such a massive part of it. Uh, yeah. I feel like I feel like entrepreneurship. Um, I don't know. It's it's weird because like obviously she's my wife. And it's not even like we view that we work on the business together, but she helps me with so much. And I feel like she's like gently behind me, pushing me further uh, down a crazy road. You know, yeah. like if we're like growing, I would like pro- my natural tendency would be like, I don't know, I might get like stressed out and then like slow down. Yeah. But she's it's like right such now. a... Uh, <laughs> No, no, not in that sense. But she's like a marathon runner, you know. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Like and also perfect. just like mentally stimulated by new things. So it's fun. Yeah, it's fun for her, and it's so helpful for me to like not have uh, the option to like reverse course when things Which are is, going well. Yeah, which I think is important for a founder to have that. Yeah. I mean, it depends what kind of founder you are. You might be someone who like is you're very calculated. So obviously for you, that's like really good to have other people. Calculated. That's awesome that you think you are. You're analytical. analytical. But like, 
there are other people, um, other founders who are like, they need that person to slow them down and to make them, you know. I was doing like this coaching program that's so nerdy. This is a different one than I've even told you about. Um, But they told me, I've said this to everyone. They told me the five stages of like basically doing anything challenging in life. And the first stage, I think I've probably already told you this. The first stage is uninformed optimism. And it's like when you have ideas, you're like, really energized by everything because you have no idea what you're getting into and you haven't even started working on anything. And then the second phase is informed pessimism. And it's like, once you start, you realize like things are way harder than you thought. Uh, You like don't even know what you're getting into and you're learning so rapidly that it becomes way more challenging. And then phase three is like basically depression. It's like when you think uh, like the challenges are like never ending. I I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do this. Life is so hard. And Mm -hmm. what they said is that most people don't know about these phases. So at phase three, you're closer to doing what you wanted to do. But you feel exponentially worse than you did at the beginning. And so that's when people like reverse yeah yeah so what they were saying is because even though you're closer you're like your brain doesn't realize it because it doesn't feel good and so your subconscious wants to feel better in the moment so a lot of people like start other projects and it's because they're like in search of feeling the energy from the first part but Mm -hmm. then obvious obviously you're going to go through the same things over and over again and Michael, what's yeah. phase four and five? <laughs> phase, four, phase four is, I think, informed optimism. It's like when you start getting positive feedback and you like think maybe this actually is possible. And then uh, phase five, I forget the name of it, but it's just like optimistic. You like have a team that you're realizing things through also. But yeah, they said also you could go back and forth through like every phase on different projects that you're working on. I just thought it was interesting to know because I'm like, yeah, so many people in life just go through phase one through three over and over and over again. Yeah. And they're, they don't realize that they're actually breaking through something. And that's, yeah. yeah so it's kind of like what you went through with wondering, oh my gosh, am I doing the right thing? I'm, my wife's about to give birth. Yeah. I'm leaving my partnership. And this is, you know, how I make an income to support my family. But then you had this great idea and it really is something that can help people. And it is important for people to understand like why email marketing is important. And yeah. And then you like, what I love about Antidote and also what I like, not what I hate, <laughs> but what I love is that you do one thing and you do it really well. But I'm always like, oh my gosh, they're so good at this. They should also, I like in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, they should do this and they should add this and they should add this. And then I'm like, but he's so smart that he's only doing this so that like, that's why I it's think that's so hard too, though. Like, I think, yeah, maybe I should be doing other things. No, no, no. Yeah. I, love the way you do it. And I think 
I mean, obviously, who knows down the line, but I think it's really smart. And I think that's something that everyone can learn from that I can learn from that other people who listening to this who are entrepreneurs can learn from is like, you really found this recipe for success that is really hard to stick to. But when you stick to it, it's like, you know, it's going to work. That's the other reason why I wanted to do Antidote. Like, honestly, it doesn't even have anything to do with email marketing or uh, yeah, I just I always believe that focus would produce the best results. Yeah. And I always would say stuff like, um, I don't know, I would look at other people that were like way more focused and I would think like, yeah, but they had the opportunity to do that. Or like, I don't know, maybe they had success already. So then they can like say no to more things, but it's easier because they're like, in the position of power already where they can do that and they're not risking anything. Yeah. But then when I was going through like turmoil of like, what am I doing working on a business that I don't want to be working on, like working with brands that I don't want to be working with, I realized like, I don't think that's even true. I think in order to be focused, you have to actually make hard decisions and hard calls and my whole thought was like i should just do this as an experiment to see like if my thinking is actually true or if that's like altruistic thinking that's not gonna hold up when faced with reality and the other thing is like i yeah i don't even think i've found any recipe for success i think I just wanted to like do one thing and see it through through the phases of hardship to like understand how to maybe be able to replicate something and also like learn really rapidly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've learned so much since starting it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I, I think... I mean, I kind of, I really want to get into like, email marketing in general. Yeah. I think the story is really important and it's really inspiring to me and I've loved watching you build it, but it's also like, I mean, there's just such a need for what you do. And I think maybe that wasn't, like you said, you didn't necessarily intentionally do it because of that. You did it because you had this idea. Yeah. I mean, it all aligns with like what I'm interested in. I, yeah think like the reason why I didn't like working on the other brands is because they were doing so much and uh, none of it was really that profitable and they weren't really like looking at anything that deeply and I knew that it wasn't like the financials did not add up but we were working on email as like a small part of it and I saw how profitable it was it's like dumb marketing like we do marketing to people who are already interested in a brand or have already bought from a brand and just bring them back more often. It's like yeah. the simple marketing of all time. But for my own brand, like I didn't do that because it wasn't, uh, it didn't sound that cool. It didn't sound that interesting. Like no one talks about it because it's, it's not like, yeah, it's just not the like coolest version. Everyone wants to like find new customers and, grow brands exponentially that way but i also realized it's way easier like financially it's way easier to hold on to customers and like treat them well than it is to find 
new customers and it will be like that always. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. Like take care of the ones that love you yeah. and build a relationship with them, yeah. especially in the world where everything's digital and you don't have a shop. And I mean, that's literally how, like, I think about this all the time when I drive around in towns that are old or like run down, but there are these businesses that are just like totally staying afloat regardless of what's going on economically, politically, like whatever, because they have their customers like, and they've had them forever, whether it's through word of mouth or just having that relationship. And that's how business grew before, but it was because exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's like so simple. That's the other thing with Antidote that I thought, like, I think business is probably way simpler than I think it is. And even like me working on a brand, like I said that I, we didn't really focus too much energy on doing email marketing because it wasn't like the coolest thing that you could be doing. But in reality, like you have to just treat your customers really well, like actually care about them, that they're like who got you to where you are. And I think so many brands don't put energy. It's like Justin Bieber's, um, following when yeah. he was getting big. What was the platform that he used? I have no, I have no idea. But <laughs> some platform, probably Twitter, right? Who knows? Oh, YouTube. Oh, yeah. He was on YouTube. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's literally like being um, an influencer and yeah. taking care of them. <laughs> yeah, I think you just have to like be obsessed with customer service. You know, like now that everything's online, I've gotten to talk to so many uh, fascinating founders of brands and like the brands that are growing the most. I've been like surprised by it. Sometimes I'll be like the business we're in is like kind of dumb. You know, it's dumb marketing. Mm -hmm. That's like what I'll tell people all the time because it's so simple. People like want to make their work seem really complicated. I just think like we do great brand marketing and we have a longer term view that relationships take time to build. That's going to be the same thing online or offline and that you should communicate interesting things to your audience and customers and like really care about them and take care of them and encourage them to come back more often. And the founders of consumer like products brands that I've talked to a few of them have said like Sean you think you're in a different business than we are but we're in the service industry like we just service our customers that buy our products online and we're obsessive over how much we take care of them and we like we are a service business it's the exact same thing and I've like been uh, shocked by that perspective because when i was when i had a brand i think i was like lazy i just didn't i don't think i cared i don't think i was that empathetic yeah and i think that, i was too young yeah like i just didn't even know i i think a lot of it is like not knowing or not thinking about it and and so it comes off as like not being empathetic too but i mean for us like we always have had a newsletter that we had to actually care about just like yeah. publish and stuff but other than that like with the pro and there's just so many things that we've had to you know publish and we have just so many emails that go out versus other brands that do nothing um but i i just find it like really interesting because 
I like there are brands that do like these drops or, you know, and it's like this cult following that's like waiting for their email to come out. Yeah. They can like click the link, go on their website and like shop. And then there's, and there's just, just so many different ways of doing it. It could be educational, which is like what we like to do, or it could be, but I, I think at the end of the day, just like having that ongoing conversation with people that are following up with your, your customers and they just want to be in the know of like what's going on. The other thing too, is that, um, social media, like there's so many channels of communication, but now email is like this weird new, uh, channel because it's not owned by these other platforms and you have like a very direct intimate line to people and uh, there's so many yeah yeah you can send (laughs) (laughs) wait okay so we uh, those are like kind of some technical questions i want to ask like but i think that's a really important point that you just brought up um it isn't censored you can just say whatever the heck you want to your audience. I mean, people who like follow us obviously know what I'm talking about, but, um, but I, for now, that's, what's like, you yeah. know, about email marketing. And so I know like when we first started working together, you were really adamant about how do you say it? Clavio or Clavio. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really important thing to share with people who are just either starting their business or they're not sure. Cause I think most people just, I, a lot of people know about Clavio, Clavio now, I yeah. would say like I, I'm in that Hey Mama group and people are always like, Oh, we need a Clavio specialist. I'm like, yeah. I know exactly which one, but, um, but I didn't know about it before working with you. So, and we had a newsletter on, we had, um, Emma and before that we had MailChimp. So I think it's um yeah, coming from you, like I'm curious, why did you choose them? Uh Clavio's just the best platform for like product, physical product-based e-commerce businesses. There's the amount of data that you can get like on what your audience is interested in, how they're purchasing, like what they're purchasing. It's just the easiest tool to use for physical product-based e-commerce businesses. And their focus is solely on email. For the most part, they do SMS now too. But their main focus for since they started has been an email. And uh, yeah, their platform just has like the best tools and ability to directly reach your audience and also understand what they care about, which I think is like the most important thing. I think most people send things out and they just don't really care. I think it all comes down to like empathy. And I also don't think it really is even like, I don't know, everyone in, I'm not really involved in it, but everyone in like the email marketing industry or space consider themselves direct marketers. There's a lot of talk about hacks or um, growth hacks. And I just don't think that's like the greatest way to view a brand's audience that they've spent time building and like attracting. And I think it's more about just talking to people and sending them things that they're interested in, that they care about, that the brand cares about, and really like treating it like another 
form another social channel almost, you know, like everyone spends so much time on social media, but we're just in a really weird time where people are on their phone constantly. They work from home. They check their email all the time. They probably like subscribe to email newsletters and pay to be on email newsletters just to digest news in other ways that they like really value and trust. Yeah. I think that is also fascinating. Like people have built massive businesses, media businesses that are just email newsletters and sold for tens of millions of dollars just for a paid membership. I know, like a dollar ninety nine. Like like low enough to not care about canceling it, but Yeah, and then there's others that are expensive. Yeah, so crazy. So like some so you really like Clavio. Yeah. Sorry for diverting. No, no, I I love that. So um I want like a recipe for success for someone who might be working with you or might not. Like, for example, I think I'm not on Shopify, but if I could, I wish that yeah. I would have been on Shopify, but there's so many reasons why I can't. And I, every time I think about converting, it's just a t- definite no. So um, Shopify, if you're product-based. Yeah, Shopify. Shopify is just super easy to get up and running and launched on. And then... Uh, I think honestly, it's just really basic. Like, don't ignore people that sign up to your email list. Send them interesting things that your brand is about that will keep them engaged and interested over time. Don't obsess over attracting new customers and just ignore people that already bought from you. It's all like foundational things to caring about your business and customers. I think I think when I was younger, like the reason why I didn't do that, I feel like this is more important the re- than like the minutiae of details. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I didn't do that when I was younger is because I didn't have the empathy at that point. Like I, I was focused on what I wanted. Like I wanted to build a big brand. I wanted to have a business. It was all like ego driven. It was all ego driven for like the worst reason. And, uh, I realize now, like even me being involved in email marketing 10 years ago, I probably would have thought that's like the dumbest possible thing. I would have been like depressed. (laughs) But uh, in reality, I'm just listening to people now and I'm doing what is creating value for them. And I'm taking feedback and adjusting from the feedback and just like trying to find more ways to essentially do what they're asking. Yeah. Because the analytics tell you what they want. Yeah. And then you're like, well, they like this. So let's just like. Yeah. And I think people should be obsessed with that. Like, uh, yeah, I just think it's hard. I think it's hard because most people starting brands, especially like, or they have a vision of what they want. And I think that's important, but you also have to listen to people. Yeah, or else like no one's gonna want yeah what you have. To yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. But most people don't want to hear that. Also, you know, like uh, I, I think nowadays everyone sells a silver bullet. Like this will solve all your problems. I mean, everyone in the marketing space is like, we can ten, twenty x 
5x oh revenue and they've never even looked at the back emails. yeah Your emails business. i get from people yeah. like just trying to sell us on it it's so brutal and i said this to a founder the other day isn't it funny that logically you know that that's like there's never been a silver bullet ever in life but yet you're still like kind of interested if oh, they yeah. have it yeah the people are still <laughs> buying lottery tickets yeah on but um i think just care care about your audience talk to them constantly yeah. how often though like you don't want to you know once you find out what they like yeah and you find in the flow like for example it's different for us we like i said we send out so many emails i'm curious your brands on average how many emails does a brand that you work with send out um per month I would say smaller brands are doing like one a week, but also sending to different segments of their customer base or audience. And uh, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it that should also be pretty simple. Like I feel like everyone in marketing tries to make their job sound way more complex than it should be, and that you should just treat people generally well. Like I feel like that's a pretty good life rule. Uh, and so, yeah, if you're like a smaller brand that's just starting out, I would send like maybe one a week. Like as long as the things that you're sending, you like feel like are valuable to them, then it's great. But if you're yeah. just like doing it to try and send as many campaigns as possible, that's probably not the best yeah. thing no. to be doing. Yeah, to just bug them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk about SMS marketing. Yeah. Been working on it at all? Yeah, we run SMS for I would say the majority of our clients, but most of SMS is uh, most of the revenue is g generated from automated flows that we set up, which are like automated messages after somebody signs up for a list. Interesting. So, do you send them an automated flow via email and SMS, or you choose? Yeah. <gasps> We'll do both, but they're, I mean, they're way different. Like the SMS flow is like so simple. It might be one or two text messages. And then the email flow is like way more in depth about the brand, the product. Yeah. Uh, and it's just mainly because people will either engage with email or SMS. I mean, some people engage with both, but we just send far less SMS marketing messages because we don't want to like annoy people i think trying not to annoy people is like number one or else they'll, they're out so yeah. that makes sense so like if someone has like an abandoned cart you're sending them abandoned cart flows and emails to remind yeah. them hey, like you were thinking about buying this maybe someone posted something or your kid did something or something came on tv you forgot it you know yeah. but you're not sending them a text. We could, we could for certain yeah. brands. It depends. It, oh, interesting. It, it depends on the brand. Like I think a lot of it comes down to the brand, like how they want to communicate with their customers. Like some brands, we might only do abandoned cart through text message. Some, yeah, some brands we might only do like delivery confirmation messages through SMS. If, they think their audience like generally cares more about SMS for that specific message. I think there's like no, there shouldn't be any like one size fits all answers. 
Yeah. He no, and I, yeah. So you, it's like, oh, well, we're a younger audience yeah. and our audience would rather get a text message. Um, or maybe like we send them the whole flow through email, but then because it got delivered and we want to get them excited about it, we'll text them and be like, hey, just FYI, we're yeah. delivered by your door. You know, hope you like it. I think it's so, but like what you're saying is the empathy piece of like thinking about what they want, what was, what works best for your audience and what they would want and what's most convenient too, I guess it comes down to convenience. Like, yeah, I think too, there's interesting ways to use SMS marketing as like another full, like another direct channel to talking with your audience one of the brands that we work with, uh, they they came up with the idea of doing like a um, a text event where they would do like literally one on one text messaging with anybody that had questions about their product and or their brand or honestly anything in life. And they knew that people on social media can't see like all of the content that they're generating or replies, like conversations, interactions. And I feel like most people probably wouldn't put the energy into doing that because it's not something that people can see publicly. Yeah. But they knew that it was even more valuable. Like if we can talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, they're going to come back. They're going to they're gonna feel so much more connected to us over time. And I think that's way more important than posting like, on Instagram. Yeah, or just like surface level. Yeah. Yeah, views. There are just so many good points that you brought up, but with the SMS thing, I think it's just so interesting. So like a, if a brand that's listening slash me who wants to launch SMS marketing, you really can only target people if they've purchased your product and you've collected their phone numbers or uh, like, unless you send out an email asking people for their phone numbers, right? Yeah, it's pretty sensitive. Also, like you don't want to send people messages if they haven't specifically opted in yeah. getting marketing on their, like through texts on their phone. So I would say all the brands that we launch it for, we don't even send campaigns to people who might have like filled out the, on the purchasing form like their phone number we'll do campaigns through email asking people to sign up for sms or like social posts and things like that but generally we start like from scratch because we don't want to send people messages that like don't want them or even are not expecting to get them because think like if you signed up for a list like months ago and then you randomly got a text from a brand that never has texted yeah, you it'd be like when did i do this i mean i somehow <laughs> signed up to people and um like some other oh those sound like they'd be insane okay and not on text message thank god but on email and i don't keep up any celebrity news. I don't know anyone's name. Like, I feel like you're the same as me. But I just like, I don't know it. I just get that information from your wife, Jess, and yeah. other friends of mine. But I don't personally know any of it. And I like people <laughs> that way. 
Same. But someone signed me up and all of a sudden I know like random things. I haven't watched the interview, but like the Meghan Markle stuff and whatever. And I was like, I need to get off this list immediately. And I also need to find out how I got on it because that is horrible. And it's just the worst feeling to... I feel like they probably poached your contact from somewhere. Yeah. yeah. For sure. They like bought it and then yeah. they did and who knows who, where. Isn't it funny though that you open them and you're like... I literally opened it and was like sucked in and <laughs> immediately thank God for superhuman. I like unsubscribed and trashed all because I was like, no, I need to keep my like information via like third party friends. <laughs> I don't want to be the first to know. But, um, but yeah, it's just funny how, you know, you can be on one side of it and like want to market your brand or your business or your, the business you work with, like help them grow. But then on the other side, I, I think it's just so important to be on the other side and remember being a consumer and how creepy it is that, you know, there are just so many creepy things that happen online. And on one hand, it's just like to our advantage as business owners. And on the other hand, it's just really frightening for consumers because they want to keep their information private. And, and we like, you really need to respect that. So yeah. I think, um, I think it's all like an interesting time to be part of this type of business. Yeah. It's definitely a weird time. I think everyone's on their phones all the time. Yeah. It's so it's so weird to me. It's so, and like pressing the refresh button to get more emails. Yeah. So like, people have like email, email paranoia. Yeah. I mean, it's, wild. it's like, yeah, life is fully a video game now. I was taking a video of my son Truth the other day, and I was thinking about how, because I didn't have a phone to be able to do that for so yeah. long, like a year. But then I was thinking while I was taking the video that I'm going to look back on this video and think about how shitty the quality is and how crazy that is to know that in our lifetime, it's going to just like grow even more exponentially than it did in the past, because that's just how technology is and yeah. how just wild it'll be to look back at videos. I mean, like everything's so crazy right now, like all the deep fakes deep fake videos that they what's can, that oh that they can make like videos of people that look identical like they could make a video of you talking and it looks identical to you but it's not you no way yeah they can make videos of people who are have passed away like back in like the 20s 30s and they can take a photo and then make it into an actual like video and it looks real that's so creepy yeah yeah and then all like the digital i don't know there's so many weird things like the nfts people like purchasing digital property i just everyone's on their phone and on their computer way more than they're in like physical <laughs> real life at this point the fact that <laughs> We did this interview yeah, yeah. virtually and we hang out is really wild. But because it's wild. so much easier to do things online it's now, I mean, I would have never done this a year ago. Ever. Same. But also and, like there's other things that I did back then that were so dumb, you know, yeah. like, 
I would drive, I would drive to LA to have like a 20 minute long meeting that I didn't even think I needed to have. I would drive for like two and a half, three hours to spend 30 minutes talking to somebody and then drive home and be like, that was total waste. I know. I mean, I did that with a baby. That's yeah. so sad. I can't wait to never do that again. I mean, already yeah. I'm already doing it, but with my next one. But anyways, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. And I love talking to you and I'm very inspired by you and I love Antidote and I appreciate you coming on. <laughs>